Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Bismillah, assalamu alaikum people, it's your boy Moss here for another episode of the Scholar and the Student podcast, season 2, episode number 2. Let me just bring up the profile picture of our esteemed guest today, all the way, well right now he's from, he's in Dar es Salaam, Tanzania, but he grew up not very far from where we are in the dusty roads of Mulepulule. This is our friend, our brother. Dominic Fwamba, all the way from Tanzania. He is the head of TCRO, and I'm going to keep that a bit of a secret as to what exactly TCRO is. I'll let him um, take it away in regards to what exactly that stands for. He's also an entrepreneur and a freelance writer on the side. But just to bring him to my side on the video feed right now, Dominic, welcome to Botswana virtually. I know you've been here plenty of times. You grew up here, but it's Nice to host you in my house virtually thanks to this pandemic. How are you doing this morning, brother? I'm doing good, Master Kim. Thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm really excited to see, um, to have this conversation with you and just share with your listeners um, about experiences in general. Absolutely, absolutely. So, okay, talking about experiences, let's start with yourself, Dominic. Um, as I've already said, you grew up on the dusty alleyways of Mulepulule, if I can call them that. Um, how did you end up in a place like Moleps? Because, well, for better or for worse, that place kind of has a reputation. You can elaborate more on that. And how did you end up in Tanzania? What, how did you get, well, what were the factors that led to your exodus to Dar es Salaam, as you so pleasantly like to call it? Oh, man, I think Mulepulle has only now gotten a reputation in the last maybe six, seven years. Um, because, you know, if you've been in Mulepulle for any length of time, you know, the proximity to the city has made it such that it's become such a popular uh, commuting destination for people who are trying to avoid uh, the high costs of living in Mulepulle, mm-hmm. you know. So I think mm-hmm. with a lot of new people flooding to Mulepulle because... It's like, what, a 40-minute drive from Gats? Um, I think now, like, all those those new dynamics, new people from different places, that, that's what's uh, given it a reputation. But 
I digress there. Um, how I ended up in in in, in laps, right? Um, so my mom, you know, we, we when I first moved to Botswana, actually, the the place where we first moved to was Atisha, mm. you know. Uh, mm. It's a small little town, I think about what 70 kilometers from Mochudi yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, so that's where we lived for about a year or a year and a half where, I mean, that's where my mom was first mm -hmm. stationed, you know. Mm -hmm. um, she worked for the Katling District Council at the time. And um, we moved to Moleps in in 97, I think mm -hmm. it should be, uh, when she was, mm -hmm. um, she got a job with the Ministry of Education, so they, they, they took wow. her there to um, wow. Scottish Livingston mm -hmm. Hospital. So that's how I ended up there, you know. Um, I pretty much started school there. I, I went to Botswana when I was very young. I was about five years old. Um, so, you know, when I when we moved from uh, my home country to, to, to Botswana, I had to start everything all mm. over again. So I started mm. school at Al-Haq uh, Secondary School, yes, Islamic uh, School, yes. um, in, in, in Molabs, and, you know, went to Shepherd English Medium School to finish off my, my, my primary and then um, I did my senior, my, my junior in Masilo, in Molabs as well, and then I finished my senior in, in Liduma. So I'm pretty much like a bred in Botswana boy. Yeah, absolutely. You know? And you've got quite a diverse um, portfolio of education because, I mean, mine is pretty boring. It's just private school from beginning to end. But you've been like everywhere, Islamic school, government school, and English medium. So if you can, if I can just make you digress a little bit. How was that experience? Was there anything significant in the approaches of, of these schools or was it pretty much the same all over? Oh man, I think it, it's so different. Um, I think for me, because most of my childhood memories are at mm -hmm. Hack, you know, the mm -hmm. best years. I'm talking like standard one. I think I was in, in, in a Hack from standard, from, pre, from preschool to uh, standard mm -hmm. four. So that's that's mm -hmm. those four years, you know, those are really heyday years for, you know, a young person, you know, and, you know, meeting friends and stuff. I, I started moving. Um, I moved to Shepherd's English Medium School when uh, kids started being, uh, mean, you know, I, <laughs> I think uh, when you reach standard five, six, seven, I think kids start being really conscious of themselves and stuff. So those heyday and happy years were were at um, were at at at, at our hack. But. I think very different approaches, you know. Um, I think Al Haq is a is a is a, um, is, is a is an Islamic faith foundation school, but I don't think that's how they 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 they, they necessarily push the narrative. It, it it feels just like you know a normal Absolutely. school, you know. Absolutely. Um, I think the only differences we would see is that maybe some students will go and do mm -hmm. madrasa. Um, mm -hmm. Versus at Shepherd English Medium School, where that didn't really just yeah. exist, you know. Yeah. Um, but what I do remember is that Al Haq had a lot more core curricular activities than Shepherd yeah. um, English yeah. Medium yeah. School. I mean, for the yeah. time that I moved there. But long and short of it is that I think it's really, really they they just had different philosophies and different ways in which they they were. But I think where I really started to see the difference in the way things are was when I went to junior school uh, at mm -hmm. Masilo, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. um, you see, Masilo is like right in Lekwabing, which is like at the furthest end of Lekwabing. It's, it's basically within mm -hmm. shrubs. 
So it's mm. as as rural a school as you can think of. Wow. And wow. yeah, the approach there was a very closed system, you know, um, very closed system. It was it wasn't just an enabling environment um, for the most part, I see. you know. I mean, private I schools tend to be very enabling environment, you know, encouraging environments. But listen, I, I still look back at Masilo nostalgically, but yeah, it, it was very different, you know. They it didn't, mm. the philosophy was a little bit more, you know, ah. harsh than, ah. you know, my primary school years. So yeah, very different philosophies um, of, of, of education. Excellent. Actually. But somewhere along the line, you got into debating and public speaking. Um, if you could tell us more about that and how that led to you forming TCRO, what the hell is TCRO is what the viewers are asking right now. Um, spoiler alert, it's got something to do with Tanzania, but I'll let you do the honors of elucidating on your organization. So when I went, um, credit words due, um, Masilo Junior Secondary School, with all the smack that I give that school, one thing that I do credit it for is allowing or introducing me to, to debating, you know? Um, and it was a very lively debate school, if I should say, you know, with a very supportive, um, you know, with very selectively supportive teachers to the craft, you know? So that's where I was introduced to debate, to debate. But I think for me, debate has always been a part of my secondary life. Like all my friends were debaters, you know, um, more or less. So for me, it, it just became like going to school pretty much, you know, like school wasn't school. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. You know, yeah, absolutely. it was yeah. just like another subject, but my mm. favorite subject, the one that I mm. enjoyed. Yeah. You know? So listen, yeah. um, I finished my secondary school and, you know, of course I moved on to mm. other things. But, you know, it's only like how many years later after leaving secondary school, like seven years later where I moved to Tanzania and, you know, I, I and started TCRO, mm -hmm. you know. Uh, so mm -hmm. TCRO stands for Tanzania Competitive Rhetoric Organization. And I know that sounds like a mouthful. So I'm going to say it a little slowly. Tanzania Competitive Rhetoric Organization. We, we, we initially wanted to just call it Tanzania Debate mm. Union, to be honest. Mm. It would have been a more approachable name, but TCRO, as the acronym goes, has become synonymous with debating here in Tanzania. Wow. So wow. Um, it sort of worked out, you know, in that way, only because I think with kids, they will always find a way, you know, to make something complicated simple. Yeah, absolutely. You know? yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, you know, it's a very personal story growing up in Botswana where they have a very vibrant debating culture and traveling, you know, in, in, in secondary school, traveling to different countries, to different provinces, interacting with international communities and not seeing Tanzanian students at mm. international tournaments. That's actually what pushed me to start TCRO because I've always, I've always made the argument that um, one of the strengths that has kept debating going um, in most um, countries where it's got such a strong foothold like Botswana, mm -hmm. you know, are some mm -hmm. of those, you know, people like you from Debaters Without Borders, you know. Uh, before mm -hmm. you guys, there were people like Justice Motabani who were 
external influencers, you know, enablers, you know, who gave those young people safe spaces. So, you know, the idea really was to replicate that here in Tanzania. And that's how TCRO started, you know, that's really just the ethos of, of, of the organization, you know, and the, 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 the brain behind it. So, I mean, absolutely. You mentioned justice. Justice is um, Justice Mutlabani. Besides, I mean, everyone in Botswana knows him because he was on Big Brother. But besides that, he's um, quite an integral player in my story as well when it comes to debate, because I explicitly remember him coming to my school, which was Kaswe. I mean, I only went to basically three schools in my life. That's nursery, primary and high school. I wasn't a, let's say, a tourist such as yourself, for better or for worse. So I remember when Justice Motlabani came to my school and then he taught us about this new system of debate because... Back in the day, we used to have the boring one. You remember long man style, where you got four speakers, yeah, four speakers, they define, there's no like um, argumentation in that sense because people are just sticking to their scripts and playing it very safe. And then justice came with this new revolutionary thing, you know? But at the time, I remember not being too interested in it. But later, like 2012, when I was doing my form six, lower six, that's AS level, if you will, and there was a competition in Radisile of all places. So, I mean, interesting, but yeah, Radisile, we were there and it was actually the national selections. I mean, okay, you see the thing about Botswana competitions is that the competition will be called something, but then what that actually means will be something else. So they selected the best 20 speakers in the country. And then from that 20, they were going to make further selections for people who would be on the national team for debate for Botswana in like 2012 or 2013. And I managed to become the vice captain of that team with the likes of people such as, you've heard of Tawanda Mulalu and um, Israel Walter Chona III. He's also a founding member of Debaters Without Borders. So yes, definitely justice was um, part of our foundation. He was part of our stepping stone. So it's interesting to see how he was part of your story as well. But if I may ask, Dominic, um, why debate? Because, yes, I'm sure that you've already elucidated on your personal journey and all that stuff. And even for myself, you know, people would ask, what sport do you play? I'm like, debate, because debating is a sport. I mean, not everyone's good at it. And um, just to self-promote myself, um, from the years 2009 until 2013, which is when I started debating in Kaswe and Form 2 until my final year in Kaswe, I was the best debater. Well, I was crowned best debater in school all those years. So there's something to look forward to. But why debate to develop the young people? Because I can say from personal experience, even being on a national team, when you go for like sponsorships to big companies such as, you know, Masscom and Orange, they're not interested in sponsoring your team unless it's football or something of that sort. So people don't have that importance of debate. So why did you go to such lengths to promote something which is just, in many ways, it's an uphill battle for you? Why choose debate instead of something else to develop the youth? So for me, I think, um, and I was saying this to my students just the other day, um, I was training a new school, um, and I hope they also had their justice moment, like you were, <laughs> you were yeah. describing. So it's a new school yeah. under my table. And... It's like I said to them the other day, I said, debating is a life skill, you know? Um, it's a life skill. It's a life skill because it, it, it I think once you, you engage at the level that is required 
for um, that world schools debate and British parliamentary debate require all students to, to, to rise up to. I think everything else sort of feels easier, mm-hmm. you know? Um, mm-hmm. So it's an elevated skill set. That's one thing I would like to say. But more than that, it gives you a life, life skill because everything else that has to deal with public speaking or being grilled or being asked difficult questions or being put in a position where you have to think on the spot, like an interview or even just a televised interview or a radio interview, whatever type of situation where you have to be on a platform um, just becomes easier after that, you know? So it's an elevated form of art, which I would highly, which I think really just makes you equipped for life, you know, or certain situations in life, not for life entirely, but just certain, those particular types of situations, which a lot of people struggle with, if we're to be honest, right? A lot of people struggle to to communicate themselves effectively, to communicate what they represent effectively. Um, So, you know, debate is that bridging gap. It it helps, you know, bridge that, that ability and inability. I think the heart of debate for me is where it mostly lies than um, you know, the commercial part of it. Because like you're saying, debate is, is a very difficult sport to sell. It's not recognized. People would rather, they don't actually, people actually don't even look at it as a sport, you know? Um, you, are, you are better off finding chess sponsorship than you are for finding sponsorship for a debate mm. team, you know? Because um, mm. I think it, 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 it touches on a skill that, or, on, a, on an ability that most people tend to have, which is speaking. So I think there are some people whom, if they have not been a part of the system, they just don't see the mm. use for it. Mm. But to be honest, um, I don't think anything that is easy is worth doing anyway. Mm. You know, um, if you go for something, everything that is easy to get sponsorship for has already been done, you know, by somebody else, you know. It's not... Um, I think the feat of it comes where you get recognition for something that's not particularly easy to do. But I don't think I really thought about it in those terms when I started TCR, mm. you know? Um, mm. it, it's, it's been an uphill climb, like you say. It's, it's not easy to convince. Um, I mean, we've been in the game now for like mm. five years. Mm. Um, in fact, five years as of yesterday. Wow. Yeah. Yeah? Wow. Five years yeah. as of yesterday. Like we've been registered now for five years. But we haven't gotten any like core sponsorship, like when I say, or core funding, let me say, you know, to support our programs, you know, from some donor organization. We are an NGO mm. after all, but we mm. haven't gotten any type of core funding in five years of being in the game. We only get program mm. funding. But I mm. think that in itself has been a, 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 a... Every day we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. I think it's, it's been a, an achievement in itself. Because right now, I can at least say we have 
two or three donors who we can approach at any given event and we're very and we're assured that they will sponsor us so at least we've reached to that stage but i think for me you know just to answer your question more directly it's, it's about the life skill i think it's a life skill everybody should have and i think more than just being talking yourself out of, the, of, a, of a difficult situation i think we live in a world where the conversations that are being had um, the questions that are being asked are not intuitive enough. They are not, it, we're not having quality conversations because people don't have a background in critical thinking and they don't have a background in effective communication, you know? And I think this really reduces and waters down the types of interactions that we have and quality of conversations that we have in our communities and in our societies in general. So I think debating, um, you know, in many ways um, improves those those conversations, you know, in many ways. Yeah. Absolutely. And I can relate to what you're saying because not too long ago, I was attending a webinar because everything's online now. It was to do with ADR. And for those of you who don't know, ADR refers to um, alternative dispute resolution. And it's a trending topic somewhat, you can say, in the legal world right now because people don't want to go to court increasingly. That's just a lot of time wasted. It's a lot of cash that you could have used for do, to doing something else. So ADR is the new thing where you get a mediator, for example, and you sit the parties down and you try to get them to settle the thing without going to court. And there was some lady there who had an LLM in something, a master's of law. I've only got a bachelor's in law. Well, hopefully I'm waiting for my last batch of results. And yes, she had interesting things to say, but damn, I was falling asleep during her presentation because she wasn't selling her content to me as someone who is interested in this subject, who wants to take it up as a profession, who wants to perhaps pioneer ADR institutions in Botswana, for example. But still, the stuff that she was saying, I wasn't convinced, not because she was wrong, but mostly because she didn't have presentation and all those other things that we could give a long lecture about. I mean, you wouldn't have liked it either if you were there. I mean, we have those debating marking sheets. You would have gotten the lowest possible score, if I can put it that way. Because it's not just about what you have to say. It's how you say it. And whether that's correct in your approach or not, the thing is that people are people with limited attention spans. So if you're not selling them what you have to say, then they're not going to eat it up. And I like what you brought up about the critical conversations because look, maybe your job will not entail you having to speak out in public all the time, but critical thinking is a life skill, whether people acknowledge it or not. And you rightly pointed out that we're not having quality conversations. And interestingly enough that um, the episode before this, I was interviewing an Imam from Canada. His name was uh, Sheikh Madhur Mahmoud. And he was talking about how within Islamic circles, the clergy, instead of engaging in critical thought and evaluating perhaps rulings which people came up with hundreds of years ago, and instead of reevaluating those issues for today's time, they just parrot out the rulings that we've derived from these books, which were tailored for situations from before any of us were born. So he was, I, won't, I don't want to use the word despondent, but he did imply that everyone in this world, regardless of which field they're in, needs to have that element of critical thinking so they can 
push the boundaries and it sounds so cliche but make this world a better place you know tailor what you have make those bring them out in a palatable form for people of today and make it entertaining make it palatable basically and yes present your craft to the world if i'm making sense i don't know if you have anything to add up on that yeah i think um effective communication because the way i always um, market debating um to to corporates and to uh laymen you know is effective communication for you to be able to convey your message to your employees for you to be able to convey your message to your co-workers for you to be able to convey your message to your kids for you to be able to be a mouthpiece you know because here's the thing here's the weird part people always are critical about debaters and debating and you know almost put it as an aside but it's always ironic that whenever you are around people and i don't know if this happens to you to uh, master where when you are around people who know that you're a debater and they need anything said you know whether it's in the workplace or in that type of environment they'll be like hey master you are a guy because they know you are going to communicate what they they are thinking um you're going to communicate what they represent most effectively that is that is a life skill that is the definition of a life skill right there um and i think just it has a trickle down effect on so many things because like you're saying people just can't like if 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 let's take it that that lady was giving that exciting lecture to um, a student who are still um in defense about whether they want to study law or not you know and she was they gave like a whole profile that you know she's been in the legal practice for 15 years or 20 years and you know she's pioneered this amazing thing and the way that she was communicating just because you know did not sell you to the, to what she was saying it's very difficult you see for you to convince say um you know someone who is considering the legal profession you know that this is something that they should actually do and they should actually take seriously from from then on out so i think it's really really you know underrated but it's it's, it's a really important skill um to have absolutely and yeah talking about my personal experiences usually i'm the guy who's always called up to do mcing at any event and um yeah sometimes even give lectures at the mosque and stuff like that even though i'm definitely not an imam i'm not qualified in the sacred sciences by any stretch of the imagination but absolutely you nailed it on the head that because people know that we have this reputation if you will of communicating ideas effectively and they know that we will be the ones who will be able to sell whatever it is they're trying to sell and we'll be the ones to bring people to our side with a bit of charisma even then we are usually the ones who are scouted out for the job and in many ways that is also why i started this podcast to have dialogues now i'm going to bring this into an interesting tangent would you say that dialogue would be a more conducive um activity to undertake for people looking to build bridges than debate because when you say debate it's kind of a loaded term people think oh there's going to be an auditorium people are going to be aggressive when he makes a comeback everyone's going to go oh and all that kind of stuff 
as opposed to a dialogue which we're kind of having now although we're not going at each other's heads because we're pretty much agreeing on most of the things we're talking about but let's say for example we came to different standpoints about a certain topic we'd still be able to bring it forward um in a very respectable manner so you would say i believe in this because of abc and i would say i hear what you're saying but i'm going to digress because of x y and z because yes debate is kind of a loaded term in that sense but at the core of it i would say that even if you're having a dialogue the same skills are being exercised yes it's not like your world schools debate competition where people have been given protected time or they can give rebuttals and pois like that but at the heart of it we're still having an organic conversation we're being we're not being forced to change our opinion just because someone else says something we are sticking to our guns sticking to our opinions but justifying them in a manner that's palatable to the other side so would you say dialogue is the more viable option in practical situations not talking about kids now but let's say with world leaders and politics for example that they should prioritize dialogue over debate so here's the thing that i always um it's a very interesting question by the way but here's the thing that i always try to teach my students um in a, in 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 a, i always try not to ostracize certain terms away from each other because the way i look at it i look at debate as a form of dialogue you see i think a lot of people don't think about it in that way you know in the same way that people don't look at debate as a form of public speaking mm. right um so whenever it is that i want to um bring an affinity towards a certain type of idea i always like to help people think about about it a little bit differently than the way they have because here's the thing you you, you rightfully point out that um there is sort of like a stigma or stereotype that is associated with the word debate from a layman's term that seems to say argument that seems to say disagreement mm. you know that seems to mm. say non consensus you know mm. however i think that um only for the untrained public would debate be seen as a non consensus type of activity because they have not been trained in the etiquette of debating and in the etiquette of receiving accepting conceding to opinions that they might not necessarily agree with i think this is the unique skill about debating you see debate makes debaters aware that listen you might not win all the battles you don't not everybody will agree with you and i think this is a lesson that in our dialogues however way we want to look at them we need to incorporate because that is the unique thing the unique value proposition in dialogue that debate has the fact that there is an appreciation of opinions that we might not not necessarily be accustomed to how many times have you in a debate maybe as a muslim man been forced to defend western liberal ideologies what that does is that it makes you understand a perspective you don't necessarily have to under, to, to agree with the opinion but you at least need to understand it from that perspective this is the unique selling point for debating and i definitely think that the way to think about this is that if if we teach debate as a form of dialogue right and not as a form of as an art where 
you know, people look at it in those layman's terms of, you know, disagreement or dispute or dispute resolution, mm. per se. I mm. think it, it becomes a little bit more meaningful um, for how people come to look at this because a lot of, here's the thing, not every, every topic that, because here's the thing about the word dialogue when it's looked at individually. It almost always seems to 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 to, to come to 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 to, um, to insinuate that um, people are going to come to an agreement. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. but there are things that some people will just never come to an agreement about. You know, it might be because of creed. It might be because of um, you know a deep-seated belief or a personal experience or a lived experience, you see. But it's important for that conversation to be had, mm. you see, which is where I feel like those, for me, dialogue and debate are not mutually exclusive. Um, and this is why, for me, I always teach them um, as, as one thing as a form of another. Absolutely. I mean, you hit it right Absolutely. on the head. Absolutely. I mean, you hit it right on the head. There. Um, skills These are interchangeable. Um, skills are interchangeable. No and there's no use getting into a semantic sort of about debate what exactly one about means and what exactly what the other one means and what the other doesn't mean and all those, those kind of things. Because at the end of the day, we are trying to teach kids to be critical thinkers, to be able to come up with arguments to justify their positions. And later on in life, they can of course apply these to their personal opinions, whatever they may be, however radical, liberal they may be. Right, so I think we've had such an interesting conversation on this topic of debate. And for those of you who may not know, you don't know. I don't know why you don't know, but I am the legal advisor for debaters at the moment. Which is at the moment in NGO. We might change our spoiler alert. We might change our status in terms of how our structure is and all that kind of stuff. But at the moment, we're an NGO in Botswana, and we deal with competitions relating to debate, training kids, training teachers how to be judges or adjudicators of debate, and all that kind of stuff. But unfortunately, this year there's been a drought in events because of pandemic the global pandemic that's going on in the world. I don't know how it's been in your side, Dominic, because I did see that you guys did hold a virtual tournament. So could you tell us more about how this year has affected TCRO and debating in Tanzania in general and how that virtual tournament actually went? What did you guys actually do on your side to make sure that anything went smoothly without any hiccups? without someone getting cut off in the middle of their speech and having to lose by default because, because they didn't finish their speech because of a bad internet connection and all those kind of weird things that happen. Yeah, you rightfully put it. This year has been a drought in events. I think um, <clears throat> debate and debate tournaments and events in general, because debate tournaments are events. Events and the coronavirus, they do not mix. You know, it's like worlds apart and everything. So it's been a drought in events. So we had to think very early um, about, you know, how we could possibly have, you know, alternative forms of engagement. And yeah, we, we, we did, um, we did think about um, or, or put in the work for um, having an online tournament. We had two, in fact. Uh, we had the Corona Open, it was called the Corona Open, um, quite fittingly, um, 
and the Corona Open 2, 2.0. So we had those events and it was very interesting to see, for me, what really uh, touched me about those events was the passion our students have to, you know, transcend this pandemic, you know, and still show their, their passion or their passion in their living room, you know. So it was amazing. It was, it was a very new territory for us. I've always been um, resistant to technology as a means of um, interaction because I never felt they, 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 they could speak or they could help someone or they could make, allow someone to, 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 to be as expressive as they were with human-to-human -human interaction. But I think there has been, it's been a cultural revolution for me as a leader um, to just understand that technology is a bridging gap um, and not a hindering um, tool like I, I had been thinking about it. So it, it broke down barriers for me. But, you know, just for the nitty gritties of it and like the technicalities, I mean, we, we did have rules about how you know what, this is the internet. We could, you and I could be chatting just now and the internet could, <laughs> could, or like there could be a power cut or like a tower could go down. It's the internet. It's, it's not a fixed structure, you know? Anything can happen. It's very dynamic every second. So we, we, we understood that and would give, would always advise students to say, if you're using your Wi-Fi, make sure that you've got data loaded on your phone, and would give them a sufficient amount of time, about five minutes, to make sure that they get back on the call. Fortunately for us here in Tanzania. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino. Asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Uh, data is not as expensive <laughs> as other parts of the world. So... Students had that option of, say, if they were using the Wi-Fi and they had a power cut at home, they could switch to their mobile phones and continue their speech from there, you know? Um, so fortunately for us, we had that type of arrangement. But, I mean, there were ways around those technical glitches, so to speak. But we had a very successful first and second edition of the tournament. And it's, it's, it's opened up for me the possibilities that exist uh, the possibilities that exist, you know, for, Sorry. excuse me, bro, for, for this type, um, for this type of, 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 of events, you know, online events as a way, I think for, with, with the breaking down um, or with the normalization, I don't think virtual tournaments will continue being a thing 
However, what I do think is that um, it's a form of, it, it's, it's a very good alternative to reaching more people with training. That, that for me was the holy grail for this whole thing. It was the aha moment of saying there are people I've always wanted to reach in different parts of the country, right? But I have not been able to because, you know, I just didn't have either resources and, and all of that stuff. So it's a really interesting way to reach people and, and spread the, the debate gospel, if you will. Absolutely. And as a little side point before we progress further, was your aversion to technology, did it have anything to do with the presence of trolls online and the way people handle debate on Twitter? Because that's more of an emotional breakdown 90% of the time than an actual debate where people put themselves across. Or even people who make those videos online, usually it's just a rant about, oh, you're so stupid, blah, 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 instead of actually bringing the other person's argument down. And it's all about, you're a liberal SJW snowflake who can't take criticism. And you know what I'm saying? Was that something that deterred you from online platforms for debate for a long time? To be honest, it never occurred to me, um, you know, that trolling, like, because debates are so systematic and structured. I, I don't think that occurred to me. For me, my, why I was so, I was not sold to the fact that debating could happen, um, you know, in, in, like, virtually, is mostly because of the engagement, you know? But I have I have found that there are apps like Zoom, like Skype, for instance, where you know they could they basically replicate a real world environment. You know what I mean? That's like just basically they replicate a real world environment where people can engage and give each other points of information virtually, in the same way that you and I are discussing and having this conversation right now. So. That was really, for me, my biggest, I was like, is it even a debate if you can't engage? How do you give points of information? But all of those things have been solved with some of the virtual solutions that have, you know, come up. And yeah, for me, that, that, that for me was my main thing, because I tend to be a little bit too much of a mm. purist about mm. the way that I think about debating and, you know, what debating is. So Absolutely. And why I asked you about the, well, the aptly named Corona Open and the Corona Open 2.0, if I was monetized, I would so be demonetized right now. But anyway, because, hey, interesting fact, you know, on YouTube, you're not allowed to say the word coronavirus because if you do, you get demonetized, even if you're making a scientific video about what exactly is a coronavirus, because it's an umbrella term. It's not just a reference to one virus. But even if you say coronavirus once in your video, you get demonetized. All right. But anyway, coming back, coming back to the actual point, you see, reason why I was asking is that we at DWB right now, um, by the time this is released, I don't know if we would have been successful in doing this, um, are also planning to have a virtual tournament of sorts because our main event ASDC, All Schools Debating Championship, did not happen this year for obvious reasons because you cannot congregate in places and so on and so forth, at least in numbers more than 50. And then there's still social distancing. So this just puts everything out of balance. Um, you've been to Botswana and you continue coming here on a regular basis. Uh, hopefully by the time December rolls around, you'll also be able to come. So travel restrictions, we hope, will be um, lifted by then. But the thing I'm getting at is that you have an experience with internet in Botswana and 
to quote you from our previous conversations, if you don't have Wi-Fi at home in Botswana, then you're probably hopeless in a situation such as this, such as a, an online debate tournament. Yeah. I think um, in many ways, I think the, the problem with, with internet in Botswana, in my opinion, is more of a legislative one than it is one of infrastructure or anything like that, right? I think um, the government of Botswana, in my opinion, has not done enough to bridge the digital divide, you know? Um, internet still remains a pipe dream for most Botswana, you know? The technology is there, the cost of just the infrastructure in itself. Because with telecommunication companies, they have already broken even in putting the infrastructure, implementing the infrastructure after existing in Botswana for so many years. Um, I think what Botswana, in my opinion, needs to move away from is from, I think at least what telecommunication companies in Botswana need to move away from is this idea that they need to maximize the most or squeeze the most out of their customers, you know? But I think a bundle, a bundle system should rather be introduced in Botswana, you know, where it shouldn't be a strange thing in Botswana, just like it isn't here in Tanzania, where for every amount of airtime that you you buy, you get like some type of free data, or worse yet, even if you if it's not just to get uh, data by recharging, at least have you know really affordable bundles that can help people. Even if you're selling people a gig for five tula per day, you know? Trust me, you, if someone was spending, um, let's say 20 bucks, right? Um, for, 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 for airtime, right? And they were getting two gigs for 20 bucks. The moment you give them um, one gig for five bucks, What's going to happen is that that person who already had a high internet usage is going to have an either even higher internet usage. They're going to subscribe to more, um, you know, services. You know, they're going to their, your internet appetite, if I should say, and your consumption becomes higher the more it becomes cheaper. You know, so there's still money to be made. In fact, if not more money to be made, when people know that there is an affordable, there is affordable internet because they will always buy internet for Netflix. Because what happens now is this, there, there are not a lot of Netflix subscribers or streaming subscribers in, um, in, in general in Botswana because of the costly internet. But the moment internet becomes cheaper, people will refrain from using, watching Netflix just from their homes, mm -hmm. you know, which will, mm -hmm. you know, will, will not profit just um, internet service providers that offer broadband at home, but telecommunication providers, because people will now be watching Netflix on a combi somewhere, you know, while chilling to get into a meeting to go somewhere. So their internet usage will actually become higher as a result because it's cheaper. So they'll start doing more data consuming browsing, you know, on the internet, which will make the telecommunications money 
uh, companies money. It's just that I don't think that the strategists in telecommunication in, in Botswana have actually realized that there is far more money to be made from moving away from this airtime model of, of buying internet and just making internet more um, accessible. And I use, okay, I don't have broadband here at home. I use about three gigs a day, you know? And there was a time in my life where what use three gigs a day on a phone was just unimaginable. But because data is so cheap here, I am a religious, I, I religiously recharge three gigs a day, you know, which, which for Tanzania costs about 10 bucks, you know, for three gigs a day. So I religious, I spend 10 pula every single day of my life to recharge, you know, because those are my data needs and my data costs. And trust me, sometimes that uh, three gigs, it, it ends after my Netflix binge or whatever, and I have to put in another one. So you see, there's money to be made for telecommunications companies. So I think it's a, it's a regulatory thing, but I also think it's a, it's a from a telecommunications standpoint. It's, I, I just think the, the strategists are really lazy to think about ways to continue making money from, from, from their customers while giving them more. Because here's the thing, the argument is not that telecommunications shouldn't or can't make money. The issue is, if you're going to make money, at least give your customers more for the amount of money that you're making. Absolutely. Maybe we'll just cut this into a short clip and send it to someone who works in the telecommunications industry or something. And to put my perspective into this as well, because it kind of affects me as a podcaster. I mean, not just the the usual stuff about my internet speed and uploading and streaming and all that kind of stuff. But have you heard of the YouTube partnership program, the YPP? No, I haven't. Okay, so what this is, is that I'm sure you've seen a trend increasingly around the world that to say my profession is that I am a YouTuber, that's becoming increasingly ac acceptable. Like people, they don't have day jobs, they don't have careers like that, but they make basically YouTube videos on whatever topic they're interested in and they upload on a regular basis. And based on the views they get, they get a certain amount of money. So for this to happen, for you to be able to make money from YouTube, the first thing that needs to be in place is that the country you're in must um, basically have an infrastructure for the YPP or otherwise YPP must be enabled in your country. So that basically means that if you reach a certain amount of subscribers and a certain amount of views per video, those views will be converted into US dollars or something. So basically you get money from the amount of views that you get. Now, this is not available in Botswana yet. I don't know if it's available in Tanzania and Zanzibar and those places. I know it's available in South Africa because I'm sure you can relate that whenever we want something in this side of the world, like Botswana, we're like, yeah, it's probably in South Africa because South Africa has all the things that we want and stuff like that. But interesting enough, Zimbabwe has the YPP, the YouTube Partnership Program. And I'm not dissing Zimbabwe, but I looked at it and I, I thought like, wait, how did Zimbabwe get it before us? Because like I said, I'm not dissing Zimbabwe, but that's kind of mind boggling to me being a somewhat of a content creator here in Botswana or trying to be one that, yeah, how did they get it before? And Zimbabwe, I'm actually following some Zimbabwean podcasts, um, Tender Talks, for example. They have this culture of, I'm sure you've heard of Patreon, which is basically your like funding kind of platform. It's like people can pledge a certain amount of 
cash to you every month or just a once-off donation to support your creative endeavors they have this culture of producing dramas from patreon so forget about zimbabwean national tv whatever it's called they just need enough funding kickstarting a project on patreon and then they can produce this and put it on the internet so people can view it they can even make that money back from the youtube views that they get so i thought that was really interesting that zimbabwe has that sort of infrastructure and that culture of producing and encouraging more people to take their craft to the next level because i'm sure that you know, i don't have the best subscriber count or i don't have the most amount of views but definitely if something like that existed it opens up options for myself and options for a lot of people who are maybe not podcasters but they're making skits and all that kind of stuff because you see in a place like the states for example everyone's watching youtube so it makes sense that there's a huge chunk of people in the states who don't have day jobs but they make enough to sustain themselves on youtube because their video gets so many clicks and views in a day whereas in botswana if you look at even my schematics most of my views are coming from Facebook Watch and I've said this before Facebook Watch is such a problematic uploader because it it is so clunky to use it doesn't upload properly and I have to restart my upload so many times as opposed to YouTube where I can just have something even as long as this video a, a video as long as 2 hours can get uploaded in less than 45 minutes even but the same thing on Facebook Watch will take maybe 3 days of me leaving my laptop open but the, most of my views are on Facebook Watch because, you know, the bundles and everything, people are only logging into Facebook. YouTube is not covered in any of the bundles that we have. And therefore, my audience in Botswana, by and large, is cut off from that platform of YouTube. So, yes, that's my perspective on this whole, um, what do you call, um, this whole internet skedaddle in Botswana. I don't know if you had any thoughts about content creators and online and being a YouTuber as a career. I know that, well, it's definitely not traditional. It definitely hits a few heartstrings on the purist's heart. But what is your opinion about content creators as, you know, those who take their content as a career? Yeah, I, well, just I, I have friends who, who are YouTubers here in Tanzania and content creators. So I definitely know that they do make money um, per view or whatever. So I, I take it that we probably do have like a YouTube partnership here in Tanzania where people can make money per views because we've got such a big internet community here, such a big YouTube community as well. So I think it would only make sense, even though I can't say for certain, but I think it, it would be an intelligent guess for me to say that we probably do. But I think, you know, it goes, it goes directly back to, you can't solve all the problems that you're saying right now without affordable and accessible internet. Without affordable and accessible internet, it's just not gonna happen for a lot of creators. It's, it's not even going to be an option for certain people because it's so inaccessible, you know? I think most Botswana youth can afford 10 pula a day. But what are they getting for 10 pula? They're getting far less than they could get, you know? Let's just use 10 pula as a, as a, as a, as a base front, right? Because that's how much I get for, 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 three, for 3 GB. And that's how much I, I pay for 3 GB. But let's, let's put Tanzania out. Let's take it that someone was even getting 1.5 Gs, yeah, GB, in terms of like data per day. 
let's take it someone who's getting half of what I'm getting for, for 10 bucks a week. I think it's all about accessibility to the infrastructure, you know, for, for it to open up those types of, uh, for us, we could only run an online tournament here in Tanzania because we're very confident that access to internet is not a problem here, you know? So can you, can you try to think how many people, if, every, if like it became a standard procedure in Botswana, that internet is not expensive, you know? Then people would know, people are on internet, you know? The same way where even though we, for you on Facebook, it takes you forever to upload um, your podcasts, you still do it anyway, you know what I mean? Because you're like, listen, I know people are on Facebook, you know? Despite our, our internet challenges in, in Botswana, people are on Facebook and people watch videos on Facebook. So the knowledge that something is there and is available is going to, you know, prompt and push people towards producing more content, you know, for those platforms. So I just think it's a question of access and affordability. And, and it's, it's like a foundation um, standpoint. It's where everything else builds from. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandsLots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Absolutely hit it on the head right there again so brother dominic we are going um almost towards an hour in terms of runtime i know you had to go somewhere else but before we sign off properly um you also had a couple of things that you wanted to throw my way so bring it on let's go head to head for once in a debate i'm joking but yeah bring bring whatever you have yeah yeah absolutely you know i think just for your listeners what yeah, how I met you, Master, was a couple of years ago at a debate tournament and, you know, we, we got the chatting and, you know, conversing. And then you, you, you informed me that you were, you, were, you were studying online, you know. And I remember telling you at the time, and I've told you several times after that, I was considering taking an online degree because I myself did my A-levels just through tutoring and homeschool, so to speak, you know, which more or less is... A form of correspondence learning, maybe just a little different, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was, I was, like my folks really came against the idea of me doing uni in that way. So I think it's a very interesting thing that you're about to graduate law, but you've been studying your your entire law degree from 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 on, on, online. You know, your first degree at that. That's not even like your sec. Like a lot of people decide to do their second degree online. You did your first degree online. So, like, tell us a little bit about that. Okay. Um, Let's lay the groundwork first of all. So, I'm a maverick. So, I don't really think conventionally, and I think that's one of the things that's helped me in debating and public speaking as well, that I can get a point, for example, or not create a point, but I can see a point in a certain argument that people usually disregard. And then I can justify it in that light and because it's such a novel argument that impresses the judges more often than not 
and yeah that usually leads to me getting points all right so I'm a maverick, right? So I'm not someone who's conventional in any aspect of my life, whether it's the practice of my religion, whether it's the views that I hold and the things that I want to see in the world. I definitely shy away from the conventional road, the road that everyone goes through, right? Now as to why I chose um, the University of London, which is the um, university that I used to, you know, basically facilitate my study of law, the LLB, which is uh, interesting enough, the same degree, exact same degree as Robert Mugabe and Nelson Mandela. Um, both of them have passed away now, but they did the exact same thing without internet when they were in prison, basically. And back then there was the post, and the post was the internet, if I can make a very bad comparison, but yeah. So why did I choose the University of London? Look, I had a lot of things going on for me, as in, I had a lot of options, right? It wasn't just, oh, I just decided one day that I'm going to do it through the University of London. So I was planning, for example, to go to UCT, the University of Cape Town, and there were a couple of other places like Malaysia and, yeah, plenty of places. I don't even remember all of them. Even, if I'm not mistaken, UB might have been in, in the, what do you call, in the pipeline as well. I mean, I'm not one of those elitist people who thinks UB is crap. I, at least in the law department, UB is quite good. I know a lot of people who've graduated or are going to graduate from UB's law school who give me a run for my money. Not that I'm someone that great, but I'm just saying that their level of education is pretty much on level with a, an English law degree. So that speaks volumes on its own. Um, ultimately, what made me choose the University of London after much thought, I'm going to kind of brush over or just disregard the personal stuff that was going on in my life at the time but basically my sister's also done the law degree from the university of london she went on later to get an mba which is something definitely not related to law but she works in adr which is alternative dispute resolution so kind of legal but she didn't for example bother to write her bar exams and now that she's um uh, she's three decades old so she kind of doesn't see a point in writing the bar exam because she's not even entirely sure that she wants to get into that lifestyle of being a full-time lawyer that you go in the office at like 9 you come back home at 10 p.m. or something like that she's not about that so but basically she was the kind of last nail on the coffin that pushed me towards getting this degree online how has it been well let's say this not because it's bad or anything but if I was given the option I would probably have gone to a university looking back on it not because the education I received was bad or because of um, whatever reason and I actually accept that because I took that path in life I am where I am right now where I'm even creating this podcast and meeting so many people online and getting to see humanity in its different forms and the beauty of humanity at that but let's say it like this so when you're studying online there's no shortage of like actual content that you're supposed to consume because we even had an online library so I had no shortage of books and of course you've got Amazon and stuff like that to buy physical books and what have you um, as for the actual like university experience if I can put it like that you know the, the thing of meeting new people online look, look this podcast came at the end of my university career at that but I started like going out of the house more when I was in university and my hometown is Mahalape but if you ask anyone around me, they will tell you how much I detest Mahalape, okay? I hope I'm not stepping on people's shoes when I say that. 
But Mahalape is actually I was born in Gabs. I don't know what I was going to say. I spent my childhood in Mahalape, but Palape is where I went to high school, and Palape is where I became a man. And I don't just mean when I say man, I don't mean like oh because I've got these chromosomes and I've got things dangling between my legs that makes me a man. I mean like actually having that mindset and maturing to become someone who is probably going to lead a household and hopefully other things as well. That all happened in Palape. So Palape holds a very special place to my heart. So I started going to Palape more. I became part of the Muslim Youth Committee in Palape. I started getting active with Muslim events in Gabs and all those kinds of things. And like how we met at that debate tournament, which was um, organized by Orate Africa, I wasn't, I don't know what I was doing there, to be honest. I think I was a, a mentor to the people from Kaswe. Like they were participating in that tournament as well. And I was just supposed to go there and spectate. But because I'd been interacting with Mokabo online prior to that, she knew who I was and she just handed me, I don't know, that marking sheet. And then I just got, yeah, I just got sucked into that world of like adjudicating debate and, and public speaking. And over these past years, I also joined the moot court as in not as a mooter, but as an adjudicator once more as a judge, because I have that background in law. So I know basically what's supposed to happen. And it was also during this time that I was scouted out by um, Zeus, we'll call him that. That's his code name at DWB. That's uh, whom you like to call Sinwedi. So he scouted me out and I got a place at DWB as well. So I didn't lose out on the university experience per se because I was already doing so many things on the side. I was going to Palape mentoring debaters. I was active with the youth committee. This podcast was once upon a time a a project that was supposed to be undertaken by the youth committee, but then it became my own personal thing. And I started getting more active in, in GABS. I got to know myself more while I was doing this online degree. And I'd say that I know more about myself than I do of the actual law. So take that as you will, whether it's something good or bad. But I would definitely take it as a positive that I have found out where my place is in the world, or at least I hope it's still a journey. I'm still uncovering things each and every day. And I hope that as time goes on, I can use these lessons that I've learned to help me find clarity and find the answers that I need. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. <laughs> That's lovely. That's lovely. That's so interesting. I think um, there's a lot to learn from that. I think for me, if, if, if what I took from that is that you found yourself in the process. And I think um, it's better to, to, to find yourself first um, and find your law degree later than to find your law degree first and find yourself later. Because um, I think a lot of people only come to learn about themselves when they have been given tremendous amount of responsibility, um, you know, already working and responsible for families and all of that stuff. Because life comes flooding at you very quickly when you start paying bills and you start earning money that I think that it's always super important for you to, to, to know and understand yourself first. So kudos to you. I'm really happy and congratulations to you. I hope um, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to, to, to that text um, when, when you, you're, you, you, you're officially, you know, been given your results, you know, your final results as a law student. Thank you. Thank you very much, man. And um, if there's anyone in the viewers in the audience who is still kind of skeptical about this, I mean, when you're studying for a law degree, 
usually the end result is that you want to end up in a law firm, right? Well, when I went for my interview earlier this year, the reason why I haven't started yet is because of this pandemic and I became a health risk, so they couldn't just take on a new recruit like that. But anyway, I did go. I'm going to keep something secret for now. I did go to a certain law firm earlier this year for an interview and they were actually quite impressed with my CV, with the fact that at that time the podcast wasn't released, but I still put my podcast on the CV as well. And not a lot of people in Botswana have podcasts. I'm not saying that no one has it. I'm just saying it's kind of an extraordinary thing. And you can um, bear testimony to that as well. Um, so, yeah, I'm, what I'm trying to say is that don't be afraid about putting yourself on your CV. Don't be afraid of putting things that you think are quirky even, putting that on your CV. And don't be, don't sell yourself this that oh because i've studied with an online degree for example i am somehow worth intrinsically less than someone who went to an actual university and studied there look um if you're going to bring that mentality to the interview people are going to pick up on that and then you'll be dealt your cards accordingly and i'm not saying it's super easy or something life is still a struggle look life is still a journey of us finding ourselves and we need to be able to frame what we're trying to see so if you're going to frame things in a positive light, then things will look positive. And I was reading a funny study the other day. Well, I say funny, but it's not actually funny that the more you complain, the more it rewires your brain for actual negativity. So if there's a, I don't know, a neuroscientist or someone in the audience, they can elaborate more about that sort of stuff. But what I'm trying to say, people, is that we are individuals and that should be our greatest strength, in my humble opinion. We shouldn't shy away from the things that make us ourselves. So I am not afraid of being a Muslim, for example. But at the same time, I know that I'm not a perfect fit into these Muslim communities around me. And uh, I don't want to get too political here because I reserved that for, for some special episodes. But yeah, I know that I'm a maverick. And that's my greatest strength. Instead of me trying to hide that and try to somehow fit into society, I've chosen that I'm different from the world. I don't perfectly fit in anywhere. But that's all right, because that's me. And that's the best I can give the world, so why not? And we're back with a slightly different camera angle and, in my case, a slightly different outfit because we got cut off and started recording after one week. We were just going to sign off anyway. So I just wanted to ask Brother Dominic what his final words were for the viewers and also to thank him for coming on to the show twice now because we had to record this episode in two sessions so thank you once again for coming on like i mentioned to you on whatsapp i owe you a treat at figos whenever you come to gab's next and yeah what are your final parting words for the viewers listen i'll hold you to that um that treat at figo <laughs> yeah yeah but, absolutely um what i just wanted to say is firstly thanks uh mosta for having me on on the podcast it was a very interesting conversation but as a parting words to the viewers, what I would say, or the listeners rather, what I would say is this. If you want to be different, you have to think different. Um, if you want new and different outcomes, which most people do want, I think you need to engage in a set of different activities. I say this from personal experience because I remember I always wanted very different things from other people. Um, and I took 
an extraordinary path for me to reach there. Um, so I think you just need the bravery to to think different if you want to be different, because a lot of people they 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 want different things while thinking like everybody else, you know, mm. and that there tends to be a lot of the frustration with people is that they they want to make a difference, they want to do something different, but then they are following the very same track that everybody is following and the very same mindset and everything. So if you want to do different, um, think different. That that would be my first. Uh, those would be my parting words. Excellent. And also being proud of the fact that you are different because I gave an example recently about, I was talking about the blessings of community. And I mentioned that you cannot have a community without individuals. And you need to know as an individual, where do you fit in the community? For example, you've got a car which has got the engine, it's got the steering wheel, it's got the pedals. Those are three fundamentally different parts of the car even structurally they are different but they are all fundamental to the process of actually operating that car and you can't replace one with the other you can't put the steering wheel where the engine is supposed to be so our job should be finding out or figuring out where our piece is or where we fit in into this jigsaw called the world and if it's a place that no one else has ever bothered to go to then there's nothing to be ashamed about. Rather, we should be proud that we are taking that step and we are w making the world a better place in that regard. So once again, Dominic, thank you for coming on to our show. Um, I hope that as time, yeah, I hope as time progresses, we get to see more of you, not on, only on the show, but on the global scale of debating and everything else that we've got lined up. So once again, thank you for coming on and I hope you have a great day and the great rest of your weekend thank you so much master anytime anytime all right dear viewers so this is the official end dear listeners so thank you for sticking with us thank you for dealing with different camera angles and different outfits it's a thing that happens but if you're listening to this on the audio version uh well you probably wouldn't have noticed unless i told you but it is what it is we hope you enjoyed it we hope you learned it check out tcro on all its social media platforms i'll link them down below um, by the way, Dominic, are there any other platforms besides TCRO that you want the viewers to know? I don't know, maybe you have a private YouTube channel somewhere about you being an idol or something. Oh, no, no. <laughs> I, so it's I, just, just... I haven't started vlogging or anything like that, so it's mostly just the work we do TCRO. Okay, so I'll, I'll be okay. sure to link all the TCRO um, socials down below. Do you have a dedicated website yet or you're still working on that? That dedicated website will be up probably sometime next month. But like for those who are interested, yeah, maybe you could go and follow me on, on Instagram. Um, Instagram is at Yebula, which is at Y-E-B-U-L-A. And then Facebook is Dominic Fonda. So, I mean, for those who are interested anyway. You know, I'm not yeah, a very interesting person on social media, but that's if you want to follow well, you heard it, viewers. You know what to do. Smash those like buttons. Leave your comments down below. And follow us, the scholar and the student. Follow Dominic on all his platforms, especially TCRO. We hope you enjoyed and that you learned something. Until next time, peace out. Assalamu alaikum. Yes, wa alaikum salam.
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 